0: This episode of SaskApes is sponsored by the Museums Association of Saskatchewan. To learn more about the work that Mass is doing in Saskatchewan, visit them online at www.saskmuseums.org. You'll also find the links there to follow Mass on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Kevin Power, and this is Sascapes, the podcast featuring stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. Welcome to episode 87 of Sascapes and another live event podcast. This time, I'm at the Museums Association of Saskatchewan's 50th Anniversary Celebration and General Meeting. It's Friday night, the wine is flowing, the lights are low, spirits are high, and old friends unite. So, what a perfect time to tell stories. In this Story Slam episode, you'll hear stories ranging in themes from if I'd known then what I know now, to ghost stories, nostalgia, and uh, even routine colonoscopies. Hmm, so who says the museum crowd doesn't know how to have fun, hmm? OK, our first three stories pose these questions Don't you know you're lost? Do you know John Locke? And what I would have done if I'd not lived the life I've lived? Hmm, very existential questions for a Friday night dinner
1: party. but the story I'm going to tell it's a, a funny story and I'm going to tell it on myself and, it, it's, um, and I'll tell you what I learned from it in, ni- in October of 1991 I believe it was it was, the, it was the provincial election I think that was the year that, that uh, the NDP came into office after the conservatives I believe and I was on the road, because it's October, so that's network meeting time. And I was coming into Kindersley, and the weather was kind of nasty, and I thought, because I'm a bit of a, some will know this, that I'm a bit of a politics nerd. I like following what's going on. So I thought, okay, the roads aren't bad, but I'm in the hotel. I can watch the returns and see what's going to happen. Everything was fine. And I actually bumped in to my mother's cousin, Who They were also traveling and staying in the hotel. Everything was fine. Next morning, went to the museum where the network meeting was supposed to happen. And there was a sign on the door. Due to bad weather, the meeting's been canceled. Okay. I just get in the car. I'm, you know, just get in the car and... Because the next day I had a meeting in Morse at the next network... And I look over there because Kristen is from Morse. And I'm just merrily, I get in the car and I drive south and going to go to the hotel in Swift Current because that's where we'd, I'd booked in. Now, meanwhile, back in the office, they'd get a call from someone from Kindersley. Was Wendy uh, going to be coming to the meeting? We called the hotel and they said she wasn't there. They asked for a finch. "I have never been a bird." <laughs> I, my name rhymes with many things, but that ain't one of them. So, the series of events that happened in the office are thus: First, they panic and call the police call the RCMP. And the RCMP says, well, first you have to have the city police go into her apartment to see if she's dead. And so they did that. I wasn't there. Oh my God. The police. Yes, we can put an all-points bulletin out for across the province, but She's an adult, so we can't force her to come back, but we can get you the car back because it's your lease car, you know, if that's what you'd like. Luckily, Gail Hipperson and the staff said, no, no, we just want to know she's alive. That made me feel better when I found out, but, you know, still and all. So they called my parents in the meantime in Alberta to see if they knew where I was, took 10 years off their lives because then they were worried What the heck is going on? I'm oblivious to all of this. I'm just, you know, driving down the highway between Kindersley and Swift Current, nothing. I get home to the room in Swift Current. The phone rings, which is not normal because, you know, I'm usually on my own. Answer the phone, and it's my dad. My father was a former policeman he called the office and he talked to Pat Close and said, okay, where would she stay the next night? What's, you know?" And he said, well, we usually stay in this hotel in Swift Current. So that's where he called. And he said to me, where the hell have you been? Don't you know you're lost? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I, you know, I just came back from supper. Why? What? The police are looking for you. Why? What did I do? The, anyway they called off the cops I don't know what I would have done if the police had stopped me because you know I didn't know I'd done anything wrong and but Patrick close he, he when everybody knew everything was fine his comment was well you know we don't know what she does when she gets out on the road because she's always going off by herself for all we know she' dr- changes into biker clothes and goes to the closest biker bar I don't by the way <laughs> never did but so he, he they all thought that was fine and after that I had to write down on a sticky note on the board next to my name where I was going to be staying where the meetings were what the phone numbers were because this was before cell phones So if I knew then what I know now, I would call the office when I got to the hotel and tell them that yes, I am fine and everything is okay. Just so you know. That's my story to start you off.
2: Um, So I'm not originally from Saskatchewan, but I have been living here for five years now. It'll actually be officially five years on June the 10th. Um, And I moved here for work because I love museums and I love galleries. So I'm currently the director-curator of the Dunlop Art Gallery. And uh, my passion for museums started the same summer that I learned a couple of really important life lessons. Um, I was 10 years old. And I found myself with my parents in Europe for the first time. Um, How we got there is kind of an interesting story, (laughs) which I'm telling. Um, So I'm second generation um, Polish on my mother's side and Czechoslovakian on my father's side. Um, On my father's side, they came over before... er, Yeah, on my father's side, they came over to Canada before the war. But on my mother's side, they came over after the war. Um, And there were a lot of relatives in Poland that, um, on my mother's side, where unfortunately my grandfather and her had kind of become estranged from. Um, But I don't think either either side in Poland or Canada really ever gave up hope that we would one day somehow find each other and be united. Well, fast forward... Many, many decades after the war, um, my grandfather's half brother is working as a, a taxi cab driver in Warsaw. And every time somebody who said they were from Canada came into his cab, he said, Oh, my brother lives in Canada. Do you know him? His name's Joe Locke. Guess what? You do that enough years, and eventually, somebody who gets in your taxi cab knows Joe Locke. Um, so it turned out that yes, there was somebody uh, in who took his cab one day, Waddick, uh took Wado's cab. and so, yeah, I know Joe, um, he lives, he's my neighbor actually in Hamilton. So before you know it, they're writing down each other's phone numbers. And after a few phone calls, my, my grandfather gets to speak to his half-brother, who he hasn't spoken to in at least 40 years. And then before you know it, we're, even though I'm, I'm only 10, uh, you know my, my parents have decided, this is important. You know what, We're going to do this. We're going to go with your grandfather. We're going to take you. We're all going to go to Poland for the summer for a couple of weeks. And then since we're already in Europe, we might as well check out a few other cities (laughs) while we're there well it was really incredible when we finally got there to meet all of these relatives in Poland um who I never even knew existed and there were so many of them and for me that was surprising because I'm an only child and otherwise have a pretty small family in Canada so to meet all these you know extended family and relatives was was really exciting and wonderful and um one thing that was really sad that it turned out that uh Shortly shortly after we had made the plans to go to Poland, yes, my great half-uncle Wodek um, had found out that he actually had a terminal illness, and he actually only had about eight months to live. So by the time that we came to visit him, we had no idea that he was quite ill, and he did a very good job hiding it and not mentioning it in calls or anything like that. So um, one thing that was really sad was he ended up passing less than a year after we visited. Um, so... One thing I definitely learned as lessons from that is basically, like, never give up. It's amazing the fact that he spent so many decades asking everyone who got into his taxi cab, do you know Joe Locke? <laughs> and finally somebody did. So I guess it's never give up. And then also thinking of how little time he ended up happening having. And then, you know, my parents and my grandfather at the time making the decision that, no, we need to visit right away. I, I also learned the lesson of, like, don't wait don't wait when you know that you want to do something. Even though it might seem like you have a lot of time, don't wait to do it. So those are definitely my two lessons. And yeah, after that that trip to Poland and learning a lot about my family and myself, I also went to the Louvre and like all these super amazing, amazing museums. And it was going to those that I really learned that... I wanted to be working in museums for the rest of my life, and I hope that I keep living and am able to do that. So thank you, Saskatchewan, for letting me continue to do that, and thank you, all of you, for listening to my story.
3: I'd like to start by saying the microphone is at exactly the right height. Now, if the, if the thing could be just a bit higher, that also would be well. If my kids find out I got up on a stage, they will freak out. Um, when I was a child, museums were just the best. The Edmonton Museum, the, we had a heritage house. I would get to go, and we'd make butter and wash clothes, and it was just the coolest place, and I wanted to go with that bonnet on. It was very important you went in costume. And then I raised my family, and it slid to the back, although history has always been a big deal. And somewhere in all of this, I was encouraged during a journaling thing to write down what I would have done had I not lived the life I've lived. And I've loved my life. But I thought, well, I have to come up with an answer, so I put down some things and forgot the list entirely. And as we finished raising our children, I thought, what would I like to do for me And I thought, I'll volunteer at my museum. How cool would that be? And I went and volunteered, and I found out there was a job. I could manage a museum. I could get paid for what I love. And I was well into that when I came across my list of what I would have done had I not lived my life. And one of the things there was manage a museum. And I had forgotten this entirely, and I looked, and I thought, when we think that... Things won't happen or that things are accidentally in our lives. Everything's there for a reason. My early experience, I'm now taking kids through our museum and we're making butter. And it's almost like it's come full circle. So thank you for this. I'm very new at all of this. And thank you for this organization.
0: Hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link. On the SassGapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called Sascapes Plus. You can't miss it. There's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it. I'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going. Our next four stories really delve into the personal feelings that come with working in the wonderful world of museums. We'll hear stories about model trains and baseball caps, getting by with a little help from your friends, nothing beats the real thing, and even a how-to guide to becoming a professional museums nerd. And I mean that in the nicest and kindest of ways.
4: Hi everyone. I'm Kathleen, um, and I'm going to tell you guys the story on how I got into museums, I guess. Um, so I've always been a museum nerd. Um, my sisters were very good hockey players, and so my family traveled a lot across. I grew up in Ontario, um, but my sisters had a lot of tournaments, um, but we often couldn't afford to send everyone from the family. So my mom and I would often stay behind at home. And so she always made a point that when we did go, it was usually to Toronto, to be honest with you, to the provincials. Uh, when we went as a family, my mom always made sure that I did something that I love to do because it, it really sucks, unfortunately. Um, it's great to watch your sisters succeed in life, uh, but if you, you do it year after year after year, you kind of get bored of arenas. Anyways, um, so... I always have a passion. Um, When I left university, I became a a teacher and I taught internationally for 10 years, traveling all across the world, getting to see all these amazing museums. Um, At about the nine and a half year mark, I was getting kind of over living out of a suitcase, (laughs) being transferred every two years because I was a young single who was willing to basically go anywhere as long as it was safe. just because I wanted to see the world. So I was debating. Um, I knew that I wanted to come back to Canada because at this point, my both my sisters were married and having kids, and I felt I was missing out on life a little bit at home. Um, and I was talking to a friend I'd made while living in South Africa, and she is Norwegian. Um, and she... I had, like, a couple... I was living in Germany at this point, and we had a... In the European system, you teach for six weeks and then you get two weeks off. It's actually really great. (laughs) I kind of wish Canada had that system, but anyways. Um, So the next time we had a two-week off, she said, why don't you just come up to Norway and hang out because you've never been? And I said, okay, cool. So I got on a plane and I went to Norway. And she picked me up at the train station and she said, I'm really sorry, but I actually have to go into work. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, She's like, do you wanna come with me? And I said, sure. So I'd known what she had, I knew kind of what she did, um, but she was managing a museum, (laughs) of all things. Um, A small museum just outside of Oslo. And I spent the day with her, and it kind of sparked all of that love for museums and history um, in me. (laughs) And then we proceeded for the next three days to literally museum hop all across Oslo. Her husband was so happy to see me because he's not a really museum nerd. So he said, he gave us, literally gave us money and said, go, have fun, do all that history stuff. I'm so glad you're here because I'm sick of museums. (laughs) So that weekend, that kind of four days in Oslo was my inspiration. I traveled back to Germany and The next day, I looked into programs on where I could learn to study, um, to be, to study museums. Um, And so, somehow, randomly, I applied late to my, I got I ended up getting a uh, post-grad diploma in museum studies from Algonquin College in Ottawa. Um, I applied late, but within a week, I was in school and pursuing my next career so that's my story about how I got into museums and then how I got here from this world traveling around the world person was um, when I graduated when I was graduating we were told and I've always been told this that if you're willing to travel and see the world an opportunity will will come will come available to you um, I knew that I was not going to be able to, ever to stay in Ottawa at this point in my career because To be honest, I'm not bilingual. I understand French, but I'll never, um, I was never bilingual. Um, So one of my teachers uh, saw the posting for the Museum Association of Saskatchewan. And she asked me, she's like, have you ever been to Saskatchewan? Like she knew I'd been all around the world. And I said, no, I've never actually been west of London, Ontario. I've been all over the world, people. I've been to six continents, but I'd never been west of London, Ontario in my own damn country. Um, so she said, I think you should apply. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, I think this is what you need to do. Like, I think this would be a great place. The day that Wendy called me (laughs) to tell me that I got the job as a museum advisor, um, was like one of the best days of my life because I knew I was finally following a career that I wanted to pursue. So that's my story. Thank you.
5: I'm, I'm really going to have to slouch. Okay. Um, I'll just get a wide stance. <laughs> it's easier on my back. Um, my grandfather, I think I was talking to a few of you earlier today about him. Uh, I think of him a lot in museums. He, um, he was an engineer with the CPR for like 45 years, and he loved every minute of it. Um, and uh, was just absolutely a railroad man through and through. Uh, he talked about, uh, you know, shoveling coal on the steam trains when he was a fireman when he's early on and then how, when they switched over to the diesel and he became an engineer. And, um, and, uh, and then he finally retired and uh, what did he do but uh, get into model trains. So I remember... Uh, as kind of in my early teens, after he retired. He had a massive layout of model trains in his basement, going up and down, and, uh, and he had a huge collection of, uh, of baseball caps. And I think you'll probably know what kind I mean, if I say, you little know, plastic mesh back with the snaps, and really high with the logos in the front, and just rows of them on, his, on, his, uh, the, sh- on the top shelf of his closet. Um, yeah, well, I, I could tell a lot of stories about him, but those are the, you know, it just gives you an idea of kind of what he's like. Now, a few years back, we had our annual conference in Swift Current. And as part of that, we did a, a bus tour around to a bunch of museums. And uh, as, you know, staff member, I, it's a lot of up early and running around. And so I was a little tired and uh, maybe a little a little more fragile than usual. And uh, one of the museums we visited, is it the Herbert Museum? That is the, the, the train station there? I believe it is, yeah. And, uh, and there was you know some model trains, and I started thinking about my grandpa, and I was pretty tired. I started to get a little choked up. I thought, you know what, I need to get away from the crowd for a minute and just sort of calm down. So I went back out into the, uh, the caboose there, out in the yard, and what did I see but row upon row of those mesh back plastic uh, ball caps. And uh, uh, it was, uh, it was I, had, I had trouble pulling myself back together to be in, in, in an appropriate state to, to be nodding along with the rest of the, of the bus tour after that. Um, but I guess what that really reinforced for me is something that I've known for a while now and that I see again and again um, with other visitors to museums, and, and in myself. Although that was a really strong example of it, is um, the really kind of interesting and unpredictable way that that the that the objects and the exhibits uh, that we you know collect and display um, really connect to people in all kinds of uh, unexpected and, and amazing ways, uh, and uh, just. For me, in that moment, I was immersed not just in the past that the museum was trying to represent, but, but in my own kind of personal history as well. So, yeah, that's, that's my story.
6: I've got a really dry cough, and I just put in a cough drop. So if I start hacking, it's the original museum hack, because I can't, I can't control it. Anyways, my name's Crystal Craig, and the first time I met Wendy Fitch, um, I was associated with the Rosetown Museum. And we had a little bit of a problem there with uh, a fellow that had given quite a large collection to the museum, and then six months later decided that for some, other, some reason on his own that it wasn't being taken care of good enough so he was talking about getting lawyers and suing and and I was I was new like I was the newest person involved I wasn't on the board so I kept saying we got a phone Regina so we phoned the MAS office and uh I talked to Wendy, and I said, we need help out here. We really need help. And I said, here, here this is what we need to do, Wendy. If you could come to Rosetown, we have to meet in, in, at, at, in the dark, and everybody's going to park their vehicles at the back of the museum because this particular person doesn't want the chairman of the board to be present when we go through this collection (laughs) so yeah there we are cloak and dagger in the night going through this collection so I learned from that that I could uh, depend on Wendy to help me when a problem arose so then the next thing I decided to do is I should go to one of these MAS conventions now I was very new at this and my husband said to me I don't know, you know, you're going to go down to this convention in Swift Current and it could get pretty wild. And I said, oh, geez, it's a museum's convention. Probably the average age is 80. Like how wild could it get? I get down to Swift Current. I had a blast. I met Hugh Henry, um, Dean Bosch, a whole bunch of people. And um, it was a lot of fun. They had us dressed in a costume reflecting um, the museum that we came from. I sat next to Andrew Whiting, who was from Beaver Creek Interpretive Center. He was dressed in a porcupine outfit. Needless to say, I got needled a lot that night. (laughs) The next day at the wind-up, I was given the Rookie rookie Award. It was the Tina Turner Award. (laughs) I I don't know if she remembers all the dancing that went on. So then I decided after that, maybe I should try take one of these MES, MES certificate courses. First one I took was in, well, it wasn't the first one, but the one that's really mem- memorable was research. And it was down in the Morris Museum. Hugh Henry was teaching it. And on the way down, the woman that was driving... There, if you've ever been across the bridge at the landing um, which that bridge was taken out twice by ice um, there was a big snowbank, and instead of veering around it she plowed right into it so we did three sixties 60's down the length of the bridge, hit it three times with the car, ended up stopped at the other end by the Goodwin house we all got out she asked us if we were okay, we said yes she asked me if I would drive to Morris drove to Morris we get into this session and the friend that was sitting next to me we're in about an hour of this session with Hugh i i i was still shaking from this 360 spin around and she passes me this slip of paper and she says don't you think the presenter looks and acts a lot like bob newhart <laughs> Between, when that comment came out, plus the whole 360 thing, I, I didn't hear a thing Hugh said. I can't remember anything he taught that day. But what I have learned from being in this association is I met a lot of wonderful people. Some of them are here tonight, some aren't. Um, there was always somebody there to help me if I had a question. Lots of personal growth, lots of development. Last year, where I am associated with, for our 150, we did a shared land event. And we invited four elders representing the four um, nations that we we have. They have burial sites where our interpretive center is. And we got those people together and we're talking. And out of that conversation came... Um, truth and reconciliation and also they touched on the 60 scoops and that kind of thing and some of the stories they expressed amongst us in a very private manner were just astonishing and very very sad and what struck me is that even though it is their story and their history they want help telling it and that's what we're here for is to help tell stories
7: So, I don't know who hasn't met me yet, but my name is Deb Rohack, and I work for the Virtual Museum of Canada, and uh, I live in Ottawa. I work on the other side in Quebec, so on the other side of the river. Um, My story, though, takes place in Boston. So, when I was a kid, my dad always dragged us to museums, and he dragged us to the Boston Museum of Science. And... I guess I was annoying. Earlier that year I'd read, the Boston Museum used to put out a little booklet and I'd read this story about an owl, a great owl called Spooky. You know it was a little story about Spooky, whatever. I thought it was kind of cool. Here I am in the Boston Museum of Science later that year and they've got pickled lungs and all kinds of cool displays. Like the pickled lungs really stuck out. Because you know they've got like a smoker's lung and a healthy lung, and you get to see the difference. And like it's probably why I don't smoke today, thanks to the Boston Museum of Science. But down in the basement of the museum, in a cage, guess who was there? Spooky. And right in front of me, Spooky regurgitated a pellet. Now, I don't know if you guys know this. Maybe you do because you're from Saskatchewan. I think you know a lot more than us city people about owls. But they eat things whole and then they like take all the little bones and stuff and make a little package of them and then they offer it to you when you go visit them in a museum. So that was it. I loved museums from that day on. (laughs) They were the best places, they were magical, they were wonderful. So now I work for a virtual museum, as you know, and we love telling stories online and sharing stories, but I guess what I learned from that was nothing really beats the real thing. You know what I mean? Being in front of that magical object or animal in a museum and having a real experience that will touch your life forever. And what I keep reminding myself now as I work virtually and put things on the web, problem with the web is you don't see people enjoying it, you know? Like, I know there's people out there visiting all our cool sites, and they're enjoying it, but we don't see their joy and stuff. I have to keep remembering that somewhere, all those real objects, they're offered up on our museum sites virtually. They live somewhere in a basement or an attic or right on the main floor of your museum, and there's some kid that's going in there, and it's changing their life too. Thank you. That's my story.
0: Okay, get ready for six back-to-back stories of pranks, coincidences, mixed messages, and underwear. Stories on how making fun of Elmer Fudd may cost you your job, how to pull a prank while having a colonoscopy, Mick Jagger in the Louvre, and other coincidences, close the drapes when you're getting married, advantages of wearing a dead priest's underwear, and you've got mail only you don't know it.
8: For those that don't know me, my name is Phil Heilman. I'm from the Wilking District Museum. And I'm aware that I do have a face for radio. So the Wilkin Museum is uh, eight buildings. One of our prized possessions is uh, 1929 Model A restored. And it's got the mother-in-law seat attached to it too, which I like to point out all, all the time. But the story that I'm going to tell is in our Wilkie Press building, which is a 1908, built in 1908, excuse me. Uh, It was abandoned, per se. Everybody left on a Friday afternoon and donated to the Wilkie Museum. And we were doing the, I believe it was the Wilkie uh, Centennial. And I was assigned to the press building because, spoilers, I like journalism, TV, radio, so on and so forth. So, I had a group of uh, gentlemen come in, and I was showing them the linotype in there. And he said, I have a story for you that you probably won't believe. And he said, I wouldn't believe unless I saw it myself. And it just so happens it's an Ontario story. So, there was a gentleman running the linotype, and he was bored with the linotype one day. So, he got the bright idea that in the... Uh, stock section of this very he didn't mention the paper name but it was a very prominent paper in Toronto that he decided that he was going to have some fun and so you can bleep this out if you need to he put in, Elmer Fudd is an asshole it missed everybody, the editors everything, it got printed needless to say, jobs were lost and we all had a fun, fun time laughing about it that's, that's all I have to say about that. But it's been, the whole entire museum experience has been a rewarding experience as a quote-unquote uh, millennia. It's been, like I said, rewarding, and, and I've, I've learned a lot. I mean, the rest of our board is pensioners, so it's kind of hard not to learn a lot. So anyways, thank you for listening to me ramble.
9: Hi everybody, it's uh, Keith from History and Folklore Society. Um, can you hear me okay? I'll slouch a bit. Um, I, I can tell a story about my uncle. He's, he's actually my my mom's cousin, so but I called him Uncle growing up, Uncle Harold. And uh, he was a bit of character. I remember the, uh, but what I want to relate about him is the way stories can be linked to things that don't exist anymore. Right? Places that don't exist anymore. My uncle's from Richley, my uncle, my mom's cousin, he's from Richley, Saskatchewan. It, it doesn't really exist anymore, right? But there's wonderful photos and memories he has of that place. But then as a young boy, he moved to Vancouver, and from there, he moved to my hometown of Powell River on the northern Sunshine Coast. And I remember as a boy always talking to Uncle Harold. He, was, he had these great stories of Saskatchewan, always funny stories. And I remember asking him, Uncle Harold, I said, how many people work at the mill? And he thought, about half. and uh just recently my uncle Harold um he's he's quite old now he's quite frail he's in his late 80s and uh he had a he's got some health issues and he he passed out and he fell down in his hallway and and uh his wife my aunt since passed away he's got a a new partner now Uh, she came rushing to him and then she called the the ambulance and they got there and he was sort of coming back uh, to consciousness and the ambulance attendant said, what's the last thing you remember before you passed out? And he looked up, he said, my wife with a baseball bat. Well, my poor, poor, my poor aunt, she had to, had to talk to the police, and she had to talk to all, <laughs> all these people. Um, so, so he has a bit of a sense of humor. But the, so the, the story I want to tell is about the old hospital in my hometown where I was born, but it doesn't exist anymore, just like Richley, Saskatchewan. It, it doesn't exist anymore. It's gone now. And uh, my uncle, uh, this was back in the 70s, and he had to go in for a procedure, um, and it was an embarrassing procedure back in the 70s where he had to have an enema, right? And so I won't tell you all the details, and he never told me all the details, but you can imagine he had to lie on his side, pull your legs up, and his pants were down. And and a very polite and and, uh, appropriately uh, demure uh, nurse was gently inserting surgical tubing into, into his backside so that they could do the enema but it's a small town uh, hospital. And so as, as this was happening, suddenly, ding, 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 the alarm goes off. And, uh, and so the emergency room needs extra nurses. There's been a car accident and, and the nurse has to immediately go to help because it's a small, small hospital, there's not enough staff. And so the nurse says very politely, I'm, I'm very sorry, I'll be right back as soon as I can. Just please be patient. And then she left. And my uncle was lying there in this very compromised position waiting and waiting and waiting, and he was embarrassed because he was in that compromised position. And uh, and he looked over and he noticed the, the spool of surgical tubing that the nurse had used. And beside it was a pair of scissors because the nurse had cut off a piece of the tubing to insert. And so he reached over and he cut off about two inches of the tubing and he popped it into his mouth. And the nurse came back in after a bunch of time. She said, I'm so sorry. I'm so, you must be cold. Because, you know, you're lying on the cold table sideways. She goes, I'm I'm so sorry. She goes, I'll get this procedure over as quickly as I can. And she starts to slowly insert the surgical tubing a little further. And he he pops it out of his mouth and he says, nurse, I think you shoved it far enough. (laughs) The poor nurse almost had a heart attack on the site, (laughs) trying to figure out the biology of all that and how that might have been possible, I'm sure. Um... So anyway, my uncle has these wonderful stories of places that don't exist, and uh, and but places that still carry memories and stories. So thank you for, for listening.
10: Uh, my name is Rob Dagleau. I'm with the uh, Civic Museum of Regina, and uh, I was reminded. Uh, about the story uh, in Czechoslovakia and the Louvre. Uh, About eight years ago, I happened to be in the Louvre and just amazed at what was happening. And there was so much to see, so much to do. And as I'm standing looking at this one display, um, a guy walks in front of me. And he's wearing a green T-shirt that said Riders with Mick Jagger lips on the back. And I said, hey... I was at that concert, and the guy turns around and he goes, You're Rob Daiglow. And I go, Who are you? And it was typical Saskatchewan. He told me who he was, his wife was the daughter of my high school teacher. Unbeknownst to me, I knew his two brothers from two separate occasions, his uh, uh, sister-in-law, the whole works, and there we are in the in, in Louvre reminiscing, and it's a typical Saskatchewan story of going, you know so and so forth and whatever, and it's happened to me so many times. I had the opportunity to serve the uh, city of Regina as city councillor, and I remember getting in there the first time and I had my suit on and just excited, just City Hall hanging out and somebody was standing there wanted, you know, was just amazed at City Hall and he wanted a tour and I said, well, I'll give you a tour. And Like I'd never been there before. It's my first day getting elected, right? So I give him my card, show him the lobby and the front area, whatever, and that was great. He was from Australia and it was just wonderful, right? Four or five years later, my secretary at City Hall is with her husband in their villa in Italy and um, sitting there at an outdoor restaurant. And sitting with another guy and says, where are you guys from? Where are you from? He says, well, I'm from Australia. Where are you from? Regina. He says, well, I've been to Regina. And I actually was at City Hall and the city councillor gave it to her. And he pulled out the card in his wallet and he says, this guy gave me a tour, and she says, Yes, I work for him. <laughs> I love Saskatchewan. Thank you.
11: My name is Alan Porter, and I'm with the Melfort and District Museum. I was going to tell you a story uh, with the uh, If Only I'd Known theme, but uh, it's a story it's actually my father's story so it's a bit of ancient history so I just thought of another story that's a little closer to home and it happened in southeast Saskatchewan Uh, when I was uh, a young uh, pastor I uh, was asked to do a wedding for an elderly couple and it was a very small ceremony they had themselves and another couple of friends and they came to my house now the house uh, had a veranda kind of on the front of it, which was the office. And I can't remember. We must have been in the office, although I thought we were in the living room. But anyway, uh, I did the wedding. And then I went a few miles out into the country to the home of my future mother-in-law. And uh, I heard all about the wedding. And I thought that was a bit odd. Well, how in the world did you know about the wedding? Well, she said I picked up the phone and there was my neighbor. uh, And what happened was... The woman who lived across the street, an elderly woman, saw this couple coming into my house, and, they, uh, and, and so she watched, and I guess she could see through the window what was going on, and she picked up the phone and she phoned her sister, another elderly woman, who was on the party line of my future mother-in-law, so I don't know how many people heard the blow by blow description of the wedding. But anyway, if I'd have known ahead of time, I would have done things maybe a little bit differently, pulled the curtains or something. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, the wedding got
12: broadcast. Hi. Um, My name's Connie Gerwing. I'm um, from Prince Albert, but I grew up about 17 or 18 miles north of here at a place called Lake Lenore, and I have a story, it's, uh, it's like one of the stories, it's an uncle story and it's also has a coincidence story like some of the ones we've just heard. So um, I grew up in a, a very large family and have lots and lots of relatives and um, my uncle Al who uh, is, was well known in this area and he uh, he was a teacher. He was a musician, but he was also very involved in the history of this area. If any of you have been to concerts in the Marysburg Church, he was really involved in in um, restoring that church. He was involved in um, getting some uh, the one of the uh, the original house that the Gerwing family lived in in 1903. Thirteen of them in a a house the size of about twelve by twelve that thirteen of them spent a winter in and so he's done a lot of work with the history of the area in fact he left a set of memoirs which I I put into a book uh, called No Ordinary Man so if you wanna you can actually buy it at the museum here at the historical museum but um, so he uh, he, he, he was involved in a lot of stuff and one of the things he did later in life was he went to Brazil and he'd go to Brazil and work with street kids and he worked with a mission that was there and uh, there were some nuns at the mission, there were priests at the mission and monks at the mission so he was staying there one time and um, uh, he was about to leave to come back to Canada and he had washed his clothes and hung it on the line, and it rained. So his clothes were all wet. And he had to catch his plane. So one of the priests there said, here, just take these clothes. They belong to another one of the priests. He died. He left his clothes. They were all monks, and so you know they had shared things. So my Uncle Al took the clothes, including some undershorts, and uh, off he went. A few years later, he was in Germany. One of the things he used to do was, uh, he he did a lot of fundraising for his projects and he would bring things like choirs over from Germany and tour the area and so on. So he's in a, a town, a city called Potterborn in Germany. And he stays at a seniors residence there, so he's, They're having breakfast one morning, and this very old priest comes up to him and says, you know, hello. And and my uncle spoke good German, so they had a little conversation. And the priest says to him, I had a cousin who went to Canada. He was a priest. I don't know whatever happened to him. So they chat about this, and he says, Yeah, his name was Father Paul Caney." And my uncle says... Oh yeah, I know him. Of course I know him. He was, he was at the uh, St. Peter's College here. He said, I knew him well. In fact, he said, I'm wearing his shorts. And he pulled his undershorts out, and the name of Father Paul was written on the band of the undershorts. So that's a coincidence story. Thank you.
13: I'm Christine. I work at the Western Development Museum. I work at the Curatorial Centre. And one of the first jobs that I did there was I worked on some discovery kits for kids. So they're full of artifacts and stories and all kinds of things about Saskatchewan's history. And one of the stories that I learned working on those kits came from SaskHistory Folklore Society. So thank you for collecting it. It was a story that fit into our communications discovery box. And it talked about a settler who was homesteading near McCord... McCord Museum, and this settler didn't go to town very often. He was on his homestead like many homesteaders. It was an arduous task to get to town, so he didn't go there very often. That meant he didn't get his mail very often, which became a problem when his sister wrote him a letter saying she was going to come out to visit him and, and to meet her at the train station at a particular time and place. Now, I'm sure you can see the kicker coming, because he didn't pick up his mail, so he didn't know she was coming, so he wasn't there. And I'm sure this was a pretty rough day for the sister. But the connection for me with this story, I told this story many times, I loved this story, it perfectly illustrated the differences between traveling and communication in Saskatchewan then and now. But what I didn't know then, that I know now, is that I would go on to meet and marry a man from McCord, and I would be flipping through his family cookbook one day to find that story. And that story the the fellow in that story was his great grandfather.
0: Our final two stories tell of the voices of our youth and the voices of loved ones now gone. Trust the youth of today to say the right things and Bill's ghost still lives here.
14: My name is Christine. I work for the Multicultural Council of Saskatchewan, and it's a story that's not my story. But it is a Saskatchewan story. Um, I might cry at some point. Um, I'll ask you to come (laughs) help me through that. Uh, The Multicultural Council of Saskatchewan runs a program in Regina, that's called Youth Bridges. And as part of that, we connect kids uh, from the North Central Family Center and also kids that, through the Regina Open Door Society. These are youth. And we have all kinds of um, projects that they do and programs they do and activities. And as one of those, um, the kids did a program, Buffalo Teaching, with uh, Jolie... Big Eagle Kataway, and it was um, hosted by Commonweal, and it was at the Memeway, it's in center in Regina, and I'd come to know some of these kids quite a bit, and knew um, that they've dealt with more trauma than most of us ever have to encounter in our entire lives. And I've gotten to know some of these youth, and um, know the ones that need a bit of a, you know, stricter hand than the others. And uh, because they're kids, they do what they do. They, you know, they wisecrack and they choke and they, uh, yeah, need a bit of a hand now and then to keep focused. And uh, the second day of the workshop, because it was an anti-racism workshop. Um, we. It was arranged that at lunchtime we would sit in little groups, and there were prepared questions about racism and their experiences. And um, so, some of the kids we know they're refugee kids from Syria, Afghanistan. Some of the kids have grown up locally in Regina. Um, are dealing with all of those colonial legacies and uh, what they have to deal with. so I had a group of about three four five six I can't remember how many and um, uh, they had to and and something about the workshop they were scraping buffalo hide to make little ornaments out of them something about that had really triggered something in one of the young boys Um, and during the discussion he started talking about what had happened to him after he had been a refugee from Syria. Uh, He and his family had gone to Turkey and lived there for X number of years as refugees. The story he told is not a story I can repeat. It was told in confidence. But this young boy, I had always kept my eye on him because he was, you know, rambunctious and uh, one of the ones I always kept pretty close. And uh, he broke down. He cried. said it was the first time ever that he had told this story to a group some of whom were strangers some of us had gotten to know him I sat next to him and could comfort him some and in that group after he told his story what happened was that the other children I call them kids, they're youth um, they said the right things they did the right things and they said the right things and this group of young kids from such different backgrounds and with such tremendous pains managed to, in that moment, be a network that did what they needed to do. Uh, So about a month ago, uh, a month later, sorry, just the other day, there was Mosaic in Regina and... We took the kids out and we visited the different pavilions and ended up at the Ukrainian pavilion at uh, right when they did one of their dances, which was very oh tremendous. If ever you see it, I'm, I'm sure many of you have, but it's just wonderful, wonderful dance. But it mimics a war and the soldiers on the horses and war and and I was a little bit worried about them what it would trigger for them. And um, so the young boy was there again, and I spoke with him afterwards, and, and he, he was impressed, he was excited, and he had tears in his eyes, and he hadn't known about the Ukrainian history, about Holodomor, and about an entire people almost um, being decimated, as he feels now has been done to his his people and uh, what he said um, was it will not in my lifetime ever come back but maybe my children's children they will dance like that again and of course they'll dance with real swords he's like yeah they'll use the real swords um items yes thank you for this opportunity to share
15: Good evening everybody. My name is Darlene Brown. I am on the board of Mass. It's a personal story, a personal story of growth. It's a story about a friend, a mentor, a soulmate, a man I love very dearly, who was my friend. And it has a bit of a spirit ending, a ghost. Anyways, I worked with this man. His name was Bill Clyde. He lived in Camsack all his life, and I'll leave that for now. But Bill came to us from working at another job. He was an accountant, and he loved detail. He was very good uh, with books, finance, that was his job. So we worked together for, oh, I think Bill and I worked together probably for almost 10 years. And we were both in the accounting field. Um, Bill was very manual. He loved detail. He liked to write everything down, examine every point, come to that cost at a penny if we could. I miss my friend. Anyways, um, Bill uh, reached his 65 years, and he had to retire. He wasn't allowed to stay. So Bill left, and uh, of course I missed him desperately. But within a couple months, Bill had a massive heart attack. We weren't allowed to see Bill. uh, And I should go back a bit. When we were working, I could think of something that I needed to clarify with Bill because we really had a good relationship. And so I'd go running out of my office because it was at the bottom of the stairs and there would be Bill coming out of his office and he'd say, yes, do it that way, darling. At first I was a little freaked out, but that's how close we were. And then sometimes Bill would come out, and I'm thinking, oh, I think we should do it this way. And he'd be standing up the stairs, and he'd say, did you figure it out? And I said, yeah, we'll do it that way. Anyways, when Bill died, he had been gone for six months. It was Boxing Day. My family was all there. We had about 30 people in the house and all of a sudden, I got up from the living room and I ran to the kitchen. I thought, I gotta phone Bill, I forgot to tell him. So I ran to the kitchen, picked up the phone, and I thought, oh, I can't talk to Bill. He's had a heart attack, he's in Regina. Okay, so I went back to visit. Two days later, I was back at work, and his son in law, uh, his brother in law, came in and into my office. Now start crying. And he said, Darling, I said, Bill died, didn't he? He said, Yeah. I said, When? Boxing day, 2 o'clock. That's when I went to phone Bill. I always believed Bill was saying goodbye to me. The next part of this story is Bill again. Board meetings once a month. Three of us, my manager, Ron, Loans Officer, Joe, or manager, and me, Darlene. And so we'd be sitting in this board meeting, and the back door would slam. Footsteps would run, go upstairs down the hallway. First time, Joe looked at me and I said, well, I don't know, I don't think anybody's here, should be here, they don't have keys. So Joe said he'll go check. He went to check, couldn't find anybody. Searched the whole building. So next board meeting, door slams, footsteps up the stairs, goes down the hallway. I went this time, couldn't find anybody. I wasn't scared being in my credit union. I've been there for too many years. Couldn't find anybody third time it happened we were sitting there after the meeting we didn't bother going up this time joe and i and her manager is sitting there and he kind of looks at us and he said did something odd happen tonight (laughs) we start laughing why did you hear the door slam and the footsteps well yeah who is it we don't know so at least there's three of us that heard that Billy used to work nights all the time. He was a manual person, had to work every, as I said, every detail, always figuring things. So he'd be there for hours, during month-end, year-end, whatever it was. So I used to work nights too. So one night I was working late, it was, uh, I was getting ready for year-end, and uh, all of a sudden the back door slams. Up comes the footsteps up the stairs, and he walks down the long hall to my office, and he they stop right outside my door. And I said, "Yes, Bill, I'll be going home in about an hour. I'm almost done." I still believe that was Bill to this day. That's, I still miss him. I believe that was his spirit visiting us. Uh, I have no other excuse for it, but it was interesting because when I went back to my when I joined my museum. I was going through the stuff because I didn't realize all the stuff we had. And there on the counter was this book that Bill Clyde had written about the history of the Northern Petroleum Corporation where he had worked for 30-some years. So I believe he was leading me back to the museum to read his work. That's my story. <laughs> we, still, we still don't know to this day because he visits us every, every, every board meeting until I left. So if he came back, I never did ask. We never did tell anybody our story. We kept it to ourselves. Thank you.
0: And there you have it. Thanks to everyone who braved the stage to tell unrehearsed stories, all which show that museums and those who work for them are where the stories live. Behind the objects, behind the people, therein lies the story, passed on from generation to generation, all woven together to make up the fabric of our lives. Hey, thanks for listening. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan born singer songwriter Jeffrey Straker. Sascapes can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, the Sascapes app for Android devices, and all of the other major podcasting apps. Stop by and say hi to us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter, at Sascapes. I'd really appreciate it if you stop by iTunes and give us a review or star rating. That boosts the podcast series and the rankings and more people get to hear your stories. Now, if you know an individual, a group, a town that has a story to tell, I'd love to hear from you. Contact me and I'll let you know what's involved in sponsoring your own episode of Sascapes. There's no shortage of stories to be told here under the land of the living skies. So until next time...